Well, eating and sleeping in and watching football and eating and tryptophan and Miracle on 34th Street and flag football and eating again are all some of the Walters House traditions for Thanksgiving week. By the way, public service announcements, don't forget to turn back your bathroom scales by 15 pounds on Wednesday nights when you go to bed so that you're on the right weight zone uh, later in the week. This week our nation gives thanks. We remember the history of the men and women who chose to be pilgrims in a land that was foreign to them. They definitely could feel that the world was broken. They endured hardships and sought hope in a different land. And just to get to that new place, just to get to that new land, they endured even more hardships. Their struggle of the past and their current struggle encouraged them, pushed them towards hope for the future. Christians, children of God, are also pilgrims with a longing for a different land. Do you feel that the world is broken? Would you please turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Lamentations? Look for page 576 of the Pew Bible. It's a book of prophecy in the Christian Old Testament. The book of Lamentations is a book that conjures up all kinds of thoughts, especially of grief and sorrow and, and longing. And that's often the case in our lives in 2019. Sure, maybe none of us have, have watched our city be taken over by an enemy, but the struggles of living in a sin-cursed world are no less today. We've stated that lament is the process of living between the poles of a, of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. We've said that the reality of darkness in the life of a Christian calls for the practice of lament in the life of the Christian, resulting in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. But what does that look like? What actions do we take to, to lament? What does lament look like? If we take the overall message of lament as presented uh, in the Scriptures, throughout the whole Bible, we learn that this practice includes going to God, that we cry out to Him, that we complain to God in a, in a, in a, in a biblical way, in a God-honoring way, that we ask of God, and specifically that we're asking for God to show mercy. And then that leads us to hope, where we are trusting in God. Specifically, Lamentations gives us the response of Judah to the fall of Jerusalem. The Babylonian army had attacked Jerusalem. The Jews were lamenting the capture and the destruction of Jerusalem. And the poet is like, is like a, a reporter who was kind of live on the scene. It's a book that, that, that very clearly reminds us of the darkness and the brokenness in our own world. Five chapters, five poems. I've said that chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5 have 22 verses. And they are in chapters 1, 2, and 4 are an, are an acrostic. Chapter 5 is not. I think I also mentioned last week that Hebrew poetry often inserts the most important parts, the most significant part of the message right in the middle. And that's what we have in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is 66 verses, so it's, it's taking three verses for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Lamentations 1 taught us that sin and its consequences brings misery. 
Lamentations 2 taught us to look to God's reign, that God is ruling over all. And that when we see God ruling over all, we see him ruling with severity and with justice, and he's ruling with purpose. He's not doing so haphazardly. And last week we began looking at chapter 3 and found that this chapter teaches us that we must cling to truth about God rather than simply clinging to experience or how we might feel. Lamentations 3 teaches us that perseverance through trials, coming out on the other side of trials, doesn't come through what you're seeing or through what you're feeling. Perseverance through trials comes through what you are believing. And believing the truth makes all the difference. We read last week the first 20 verses that gives us the first-hand account of the poet's experience. The depth of his hardship is something that leaves us when we read it, it's just kind of like we're flabbergasted. What in the world? He felt as though God had built a wall around him and bound him with heavy chains so he could not escape from the judgment. The poet felt as though God was, was breaking the poet's teeth by making the poet eat gravel. He felt like God was a beast that was pouncing on him to tear him apart. The first 20 verses reveal to us that the poet felt as if God was a trained archer, that he was shooting an arrow right into his kidneys. That kind of destruction, that kind of hurts. I think that sometimes you and I in 2019 are slow to assign that kind of responsibility to God when we're considering our own hardships. I think we're hesitant to consider God as a beast that is pouncing on us when we're, when we're going through and feeling the darkness of our own hardship. We don't often voice our despair during tribulation by saying that God has taken aim at us with an arrow. But in reality, that's how we feel. The hardship is so strong. You feel like God has just been unrelenting in what he has allowed to come into your life. The difficulty that he has ordained for you. Can you relate to what the poet is saying? Can you relate to his experience? Have you lived through that, in that? Is that where you're at today? Surely there are times that are so discouraging and so harsh and so relentless and so disappointing that we don't even believe persevering is an option for us. Maybe for you it's temptation to be setting sin, and you've gone so far down the road of sin, you're so despondent, you're almost callous to hurt, you've almost given up. Brothers and sisters, final perseverance through trials is not only an option, it's a guarantee for all of God's children. You can persevere, and you will persevere. There re remains hope for you during trial. Judah's situation was terrible, but Judah didn't gain hope. The people of Jerusalem didn't gain hope. The poet didn't gain hope because all of a sudden his feelings change, or even the experience change, that the city was no longer being disrupted and destroyed, and the temple was not being destroyed. No, his hope came based on what he called to mind. 
you remember that when we read it earlier in, in chapter 3, uh, verse number 21? This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. And he starts outlining for us what this is, what this includes. Some truths about God. The poet says, I have hope. Not because of what I see, not because of what I feel. No, I have hope because of what I'm calling to mind. I have hope because of the truths of God. That is the call of Lamentations 3 for you and for me on this day. Hold to the truth about God. Rehearse the truth of, about God to yourself. Remind yourself. Call to mind the truth of God. Because perseverance through trials doesn't come through what you're seeing or through what you're feeling. It comes through what you are believing. And believing the truth makes all the difference. Last week we considered a couple of truths. God's waiting plan. That waiting on God is a good thing. And we also considered the truth of God's merciful plan. That God has merciful that is form-fitted for us. His mercy is new for us every single morning. There are two additional truths that I would like to point us to this morning in Lamentations 3 for us to latch onto. Here's the, 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 the next truth. The truth of God's measured plan. Limited in scope plan. Here's what I mean. Sometimes our daughter Elise will announce after dinner that she's going to go make chocolate chip cookies to take to our neighbors. And she's busy beaver in the kitchen while I'm at my desk just off the kitchen and Tara is elsewhere in the house busy with stuff. Elise is in there carefully measuring all of the necessary ingredients. She's following the measurements given in the recipe. And then Tara walks by and she walks in and makes a suggestion, hey, we can save a couple calories if you don't put in all of the chocolate chips that the recipe calls for. You don't have to do the full cup. I wait for Tara to leave the kitchen, and I go in and say something, hey, if we're going to have a nice dessert, let's not waste the opportunity. Pour in the whole bag. <laughs> On paper, or in a measuring cup, one cup is one cup. And while there is a standard measurement, we often tweak, or we have the freedom to tweak what we believe is best for that situation. God measures perfectly. He puts boundaries in place that results that are a result of his character, specifically of his mercy. Would you please follow along as I begin reading at verse number 31 of Lamentations 3. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, Yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High Proceedeth not evil and good? Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Laments, mourns the illness, and anticipates the healing. Lament grieves the loss, and awaits the joy. 
Lament sorrows the destruction and yearns the restoration. And that is where verse 31 takes us. He will not cast off forever. In other words, the final word has not yet been given. The finish line has not been crossed. Suffering is not the end. God's purposes and God's character and the future all point us to the truth that suffering and pain do not win in the end for God's children. Suffering and pain do not win in the end for God's children. The suffering in this world has a limit. There are boundaries that God places on your suffering. Suffering is limited by the mercy of God. Isn't that the very message that we have seen from the beginning of Scriptures? When Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, the punishment that was handed down to them was harsh. It was severe. It was drastic. God told them that because of their rebellion against them, that they and all of their descendants, including all of us here this morning, would deal with the curse of sin for all of their lives. There would be pain in childbirth. The ground would be cursed and there would be thorns and thistles by the sweat of the, our brow where we'd be able to eat. Everyone would return to dust. The sweet communion with God was lost. No more walks in the garden together with Adam and Eve. And it wasn't just them. It would be for their descendants. The entire human race was cursed with sin. We still deal with the curse of sin today. Imagine, with all of the paradise that they had enjoyed, imagining being there, Adam and Eve's position, and receiving this verdict. Imagine their experience that dreadful day as the news was given to them. But even then, God gave a word of hope. Genesis 3.15 tells us that God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We see in this Genesis narrative the truth of God's measured plan. Even in the announcement of, of death for humanity, God limited the destruction by further announcing that there would be one day somebody who would come and make a way to escape or a way to persevere. Even through that, that announcement was referring to Jesus Christ and the way of salvation that he could provide for all who trust in him. You see, here it is. Adversity can be, can be born more easily Adversity can be borne more easily when you know that rejection and alienation from God and suffering do not last indefinitely since they are not God's ultimate purpose for his people. Suffering does not last indefinitely because that is not God's purpose for his people. God is not casting us off forever. There can be confidence that, that the trials will be replaced by God's compassion because of the abundance of his unfailing love, his great love. That's what verse 32 says. But, through, but, but though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. We considered it last Lord's Day, didn't we? It's the Hebrew word hesed. It conveys the covenant loyal love that God has for his children. The theme of, of God's mercy is, is woven all throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Mercy is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came. Mercy is the specific need of your heart. Mercy is, is, is the comfort that you need during hardship. Mercy is what leads to hope 
in the midst of our trial. Paul David Tripp said it this way, mercy not only meets you in your struggle, but guarantees that someday your struggle will end. Hallelujah. Do you get it? It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. We wouldn't run to God. We wouldn't go running to God just if we know that he is a just God. If we all we know about God is that he is just, we would hide from him because we know that there would be judgment for our sin. But because God is merciful, we readily run to him and we fling ourselves at the mercy of God. God gives you and me specific mercies. It's not the same old thing day after day. It's new mercies every morning. Sometimes I see little kids at harvest running around after the services and I recognize clothes that they're wearing. They're clothes that my kids wore uh, and that, that were worn by other kids before my kids wore them. We call them hand-me-downs, right? Now, hand-me-downs are great. They help the budget a whole lot. But they don't fit everyone the same. They hang on us a little bit differently or they're not tailor-made and form-fitted. God's mercy is not like that. The mercy of God is form-fitted for you. It's mercy that meets me where I am. It's mercy that fits my circumstances. That's the measured plan of God. He sets boundaries for your grief, bounded by his character. God's plan is measured because he knows you better than you know you. A truth that will help you, a truth that will help me persevere through trials is the truth of God's measured plan. Now, don't misunderstand this, friends. This isn't the, the, the false promise that's often presented as a platitude of, of comfort when someone's going through a trial that God won't give you more than, than you can handle. Because the truth of the matter is, God does give us more than we can handle. Rather, this truth from Lamentations 3 says that, God, that God's plane is measured. Your suffering is limited by the character of God, specifically by His mercy. So, HBC widow, your grief may wash freshly over you every day of your life, bringing wave after wave of sorrow as you continue in this life. But through His mercy, God will one day end all sorrow and wipe away all of your tears. Your grief is limited by the mercy of God. HBC single, you may long for a for a life companion all the days of your earthly life. But one day that longing will, will end when you are face to face for all of eternity with the one who sticks closer than a brother. And he is with you even now. HBC moms, you love your kids so well, but their refusal to obey has kind of driven you to a point of desperation. God limits the trial. God limits your suffering through that, your hardship through that through seasons of improvements, through times of, of relief and, and of obedience. And, and truly, and not, not, to, be, to, not to, make, to be funny about this, but truly by others who are able to care for them, by sending them to grandma's house or other relief for you. HBC, young person, your failure to live according to God's standard in regards to sexual purity has you more discouraged than ever. But believe this truth of his measured plan for you. He will provide a way of escape, a way of endurance. 
Phil and Donna Huber have joyfully sent their daughter and son-in-law and their four granddaughters to Peru as gospel proclaimers. And though you won't hear them talk of it often, there are still struggles there. There are disappointments there. They would love to be spending Thanksgiving Day with their family. But there is mercy in this trial as well. In his mercy, God limits disappointments like that through furloughs or through FaceTime or even through flights down to Peru or back. Marilyn Motley, cancer may or may not be cured in this life, but you are guaranteed full recovery through the unending mercies of God. He has a measured plan for you. Brian Gerber, you're not going to be in a wheelchair for all of eternity. In his mercy, you will see the end of all your physical struggles. Your suffering fits within the boundaries of God's measured plan for you. Friends, all the sufferings and the trials and the hardships and the desperation of this life are limited. They all fall within the boundaries of God's character. Either in this life or in the next, all suffering ends for the child of God. And that is a truth that will enable us to persevere. That is a truth that we must latch onto, that even in our suffering, even in our trial, regardless of what it is, is limited by the very character of God. We don't persevere through what we are feeling because we feel many different ways, many different times in our life by what our circumstances are. We don't persevere even through what we are seeing of, of how our government is working or how our nation is doing or, or whatever our finances might be. We persevere by holding on to the truth of God. And one of the truths that we can hold on to is that God has a measured plan for each of us. A fourth truth from this passage, from this chapter, is the truth of God's redemptive plan. There's four components or parts of this that we can see. So we'll read it as we, go, as, as we go along this morning. First of all, we see in God's redemptive plan an exhortation from the poet to return. You're at verse number 40 now. The, the poet says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with our hands unto the God of heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. The poet gives us a call to confession and repentance. The call was to look inside for true examination of self. The poet refers to how they pray with their hearts as well as their hands lifted up. This was a formal prayer. And I believe that in verse 42, because we read that God had not forgiven them, that God had not pardoned them, that this, this formal prayer that the poet was referring to seems to be a warning against, against hypocrisy. In other words, they were just going through the motions in that kind of prayer. Friend, just because we pray doesn't mean we are right with God. One commentator said it this way, a life which has never been laid open in penitence and faith before God has little permanence in eternity. The appeal for, for spiritual renewal is motivated from within. It's not an external force. So repentance is not just kind of some kind of magical equation going to a confessional booth or, or doing a 12-step program. Repentance is crying out to God with acknowledgement of truth, the acknowledgement of the holiness of God. Friends, if we never want to accept blame for anything, if we regularly defend ourselves when we are confronted, or if we point to our formalities or to our traditions or to our spiritual track record, we do not give evidence of having a repentant heart. 
A repentant heart groans. So the poet says, turn, return unto the Lord. And then secondly, he says, revisit, uh, let's revisit what the darkness is. Look at verse number 43. He kind of goes back to the, to the scene and he says, thou hast, covered with, thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain, thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayers should not pass through. Thou hast made us as the offspring and the, or the scum, the refuse in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare has come upon us. Desolation and destruction. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. To the Lord look down and behold from heaven. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Mine enemies chased me, sore like a bird without cause. They have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. Waters flowed over my head. Then I said, I am cut off. For the poets, there seems to be an enlarging view of the evil, of the sin, in the sight of holy God. The nation viewed itself as a scum of the earth. Verse 52, the personification of the entire nation comes back to the scene. and He views himself as, as a, a, a hunted, hunted like an innocent bird. Stoned in a pit, drowned with water, verse 54. The poet again points to the nation as being in the depths of sorrow and destruction and grief. And this comes after what the poet called to mind the steadfast mercies of the Lord in verse number 22. This comes after what the poet had declared, great is thy faithfulness to God. So what does the poet do in, in this this idea, this, this redemptive plan of God, the poet is even being reminded of the, the situation. He's revisiting. Friend, it's important for you to remember that revisiting darkness, that going back to the hardships, that seeing that come to the surface again, sometimes there are triggers, sometimes there are circumstances that recreate the situation, and sometimes they're just foolish choices on our parts. But just because we've already seen the new morning mercies, just because we've already declared great is thy faithfulness, doesn't mean that there won't be more darkness. Doesn't mean that there won't be more trials, more struggles for us to endure. And then we see the request for help. Look at verse number 55. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Thou drawest near in the, in the day that I called upon thee, thou saidest, fear not. He had hit the lowest of lows. He was crying from the dungeon. Verse 55, I called unto thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice. God, do not shut your ear to my plea for help. He says, I need to find relief. Friend, I don't know what the darkness is in your life. God does. I can't see all the trials that you're experiencing. God can. I can't understand all the heart hurts that you are feeling or have felt. God can. I try to be available anytime for help, but I'm, but I'm human, so I can't be. God is available all the time. Call out from your own dungeon. Maybe it's a time where you just practice praying out loud. And you just say, God, please help me. 
you quote the psalm, Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry, O Lord. It's part of God's redemptive plan for you. Pray with a friend, read the scriptures out loud. And then we see this redemptive plan continuing to unfold, and we see a recognition by the, by the poets. Look at verse number 58. O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. O Lord, thou hast seen my wrong. Judge thou my cause. Thou hast seen all their vengeance and all their imaginations against me. Thou hast heard their reproach, O Lord, and all their imaginations against me. The lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all the day. Beholding their sitting down and their rising up, I am their musk. Render unto them a, re a recompense, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them sorrow of hearts, like curse unto them. Persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heavens of the Lord. He acknowledges the redemption that is available. God will redeem us. God would redeem Christ's life from the grave and then God would give them that same new life to all who repent of sin and trust in him. Redemption from the Christian has been purchased at the highest cost. The blood of Jesus. Friend, if you don't know that redemption, if you've never yet called on Christ to be your Savior, I invite you to do that even today. The truth of God's redemptive plan it included an exhortation to return, revisiting the darkness, requesting help, recognizing redemption. All of those are the four steps of lament. Call upon God, complain to God, ask of God, trust in God. Jesus came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ was stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God. He bore our sins. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was through Adam, Adam, the first man, that, 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 the, the one who first sinned and all the, the, the darkness that he experienced and the consequential darkness that came upon us. It is through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, that all darkness is removed. God, Ephesians tells us, God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. And in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have not been redeemed with something corruptible like silver and gold. We have been redeemed through the precious, incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ, the only Son of the living God. My friends, that is truth that you can grasp. That is truth that will help you persevere through trials. That is truth that gives you hope in the face of anything that you might face in this life. So just as pilgrims that came to America longed for, for a different land that, was, that would relieve them of struggle, Christians long for another land that gives us hope to persevere. Because perseverance through trials doesn't come through what you're seeing. It doesn't come through what you're feeling or experiencing. Perseverance through trials comes through what you are believing. And believing truth makes all the difference. This is the truth of the matter. God's plan for me to wait on Him is good. God's mercy for me is going to be new every single morning. God's measured plan will put boundaries on the trials that I experience. 
and God's redemptive plan for my eternal life will completely remove all suffering. Therefore, when I call these things to mind, I will hope. Hope is a really strong word, isn't it? It's especially so for Christians. A Christian's hope is founded in God's future provision for us. Our hope is based on the truth of God in His unchanging character. And the truth of God revealed in Lamentations 3 is that He is a good and merciful and measured and redeeming God. And so as we look back at the struggles of Jeremiah's day, we are called to look at our present day struggles in light of a future day. A day that will, when all things will be made right once again. But until then, we are called to remind ourselves that God's goodness and God's mercy are following us all the days of this life. So let's do that right now. Let's remind one another and remind our own hearts that God's goodness and mercy are following us all the days of our life. So before I pray, would you please recite with me Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray.